Acts 19, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Douglas Cho. We are continuing in our series of Acts, and you know we're approaching some really cool things. We have some cool texts to go through, so I hope you've been keeping up. We are going to be looking at uh, a lot of Paul's final feats as a free man during his mission. Last week... Pastor Peter spoke on hearing from God and how all of us can hear from God and should hear from God. So we're going to be continuing kind of along the same train of thought here. We're going to talk about the power of God and as followers of Jesus, how we should be living into that power every day of our lives. See, the Holy Spirit is alive and well, folks, and the church must rely on him to be effective to move in power. I had a professor at my seminary who really believed that in the coming days, only, only those who witnessed Jesus' power being greater than all other powers would be the ones who would really come to Christ. See, we live in a pluralistic society, folks. People dabbling in power everywhere. I know some of you dabble in power. Some of you go to fortune tellers whip out the tarot cards, right? Stop. <laughs> Stop. My mom would, um, she would talk to me about her sacrifice when she, you know, and how she does so much for me. And you know, she would tell me she would pay all this money to go to a shaman. And I was like, oh. And she'd be like, yeah, I go to a shaman. Like, uh, Korean, in Korean culture, shamanism is really big. So she'd tell me, you know, like, I go to this shaman and I do all these things, you know, for you, I do it for you. And I'm like, mom, you're Christian. That's the devil. <laughs> She's like, no, no, it works. It works. And I'm like, oh. And she would tell me, like, she goes to this guy, he has this big book, right? And you open the book and all the, the alignment of the stars are in there, all these dates and blood types and all these things. And he would read the book and chant all these things and right, then in exchange for you know, money for his services. And he told my mother, your son will marry a white woman. <laughs> I came close. I married a Korean girl from Westchester. But today, today's text is a little different. We see that the power and the name of Jesus brings trembling and fear out of the reverence of his name. Trembling and fear. We're in Acts 19, verses 1 through 20. Let's read it. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. 
But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50. 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we ask that you move in power today over our church, over our people. That God, you would bring dead things to life today, Lord God. You would bring healing and reconciliation to places that we thought could never happen or experience those things. That you would bring rain into deserts, Lord God. We ask that you would have your way with this service today, God. That it would be you that is heard and your people would receive your word with glad and faithful hearts, Lord. We lift this up to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the beginning, Paul approaches these disciples and then he kind of runs into the same thing as Apollos back in chapter 18. These people, they know the baptism of John, but they don't know or have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. Right? The writer brings this up twice to show us that this is really important, and it is. Because these were repentant people. They were trying to live out faithful lives. They were trying to do their best. They had repented, but they were not living in the truth and the power and the freedom that Jesus Christ brought. And this means something to us today because the majority of us in here, yes, we do believe in Jesus Christ, but we do not live in that. We're, it's like we're living in the baptism of John still. Faith lived out looks like just repenting and asking God, oh, please don't stir things up too much. I'm good, don't worry about me. Just, just leave us and we'll be good and moral people. Faith looks like praying to a silent God with an intangible presence. That is not how we are called to live. That is not how we are called to live. That is no way to live. So I hope if that's what your faith looks like today, I hope that you leave here deeply unsatisfied. Something needs to change. 
As Christians, we are called to live in power. We proclaim Jesus' name because Jesus' name is powerful. And that's why saying the Lord's name in vain is so offensive. Because there's a reverence, right? Jesus' name is powerful. His name is beautiful, just like we sang. The word or the name Jesus means salvation. It means restoration. It means redemption. His name is beautiful and sacred. And yes, I know many of us in here, we want to live in power. I know many go out, get healing and deliverance done. These are all good things. But even your own healing is not about you. It's about God Almighty and his glory. You know that verse, we are more than conquerors? A lot of people run around, they're like, yeah, we're more than conquerors, right? Yes, we are more than conquerors through him, Romans 8, 37. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Without him, not so much. So how, how do we live in power? How do we live in power today? Our first point, let your life proclaim Jesus. Let your life proclaim Jesus. The beginning of Paul's ministry life kind of sucked. Um, you know, yeah, there's some fruit being born. There's, you know, people were coming to faith. But every time he shared and things happened, he was chased out. Right? He got chased out, he's beaten up, he's plotted against, he's imprisoned. And then we see Apollos in chapter 18. Right? This newbie, this green horn, you know, doesn't really have his theology together. Priscilla and Aquila, they teach him, they better equip him. And then he goes off and he successfully refutes these Jewish scholars, proving that Jesus is the Messiah through scripture. That's chapter 18. Chapter 19, Paul has his try. He goes to the synagogue for three months. He's trying to proclaim the word of God. And he's met with resistance again. Dang. My man can't catch a break. But I believe this was necessary for him. See, the way I read this is that he needed to go through all these things if he was going to bring glory to God that he needed to live out, that God was greater than he is. That during this time, he was being formed into a vessel that would be effective in Ephesus. You see, the city of Ephesus was really famous for magic and sorcery. A lot of different power happening there. And, you know, Paul's miracles, his healings and the things that he was doing, they could have easily attributed those things to Paul's power, to his magic, to the things that he had. But when we read this text, that confusion is not there. There's none of that. Only Jesus' name is made known. So we're going to look through the text real quick. And I want you to notice that Paul is the person doing things, yes, but he is not our focus. Chapter 19, verse 4. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. Paul meets these disciples, immediately points them to Christ Jesus. Verses 8 through 10. 
Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. He goes out to the synagogue and wants to bring the word that Jesus is coming again, that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus won the victory, that the kingdom of God is coming. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly malign the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. All right. It didn't work here. We're going to take my people. We're going to go over there. And then he did it again. Every day, share the word of God. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And it doesn't say they all believed in the word of the Lord. It just says that they heard it. Paul was faithful every day proclaiming the word of God so that all the Jews and Greeks in the province of Asia heard God's word. And then verse 11. God, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So much so that, so that the things he touched were taken to the sick. And then God would cure illnesses and drive out evil spirits. Verse 13, Paul proclaimed Jesus' name so much so that the seven sons of Sceva tried to invoke Jesus' name by saying, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, right? Paul exercises the name Jesus so much that these non-believers are like, yo, that's working for him? Let's imitate that. And they try to imitate what he's doing. And what happens when they fail? The name of Jesus is lifted up on high. And people come and repent of the things that they had done, they publicly burned their scrolls of sorcery, equivalent to 50,000 days wages. And finally, verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That term spread widely and grew in power, that in the Greek, that's the same word as the word overpowered, when the, the man with the evil spirit overpowered the seven sons. That word is like full victory. The word, the name of Jesus, the word of God had full victory. It prevailed over all things. Last week's sermon, I thought it was pretty funny when Peter was talking about, you know, Paul throwing a pity party and feeling bad for himself. Because, you know, like, imagine, like, your message not just being unwelcome, but people are chasing you and trying to kill you because of the things that God wants you to speak to people. Like, can you imagine that? His brain's like, God, they stoned me. I'm, I almost died. And God's like, I know. Do it again. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, I get it. Like, it is painful to have your message rejected. It is painful. I've, I've been there. You know, like, years ago, I, I, I did stand-up comedy in, in the city because... I saw Jimmy Fallon, and I thought, I was like, I can do that. So I, I, that, I, I had, I was, well, whatever. But, you know, like, I, I, I had some good sets, but, man, I have bombed before. And I'm talking, like, hardcore bombed, like, forgot my routine during the thing bombed, never doing this again bombed, never telling my friends ever about it again bombed. Like, it was bad, right? And, like, it's so hard, like, the words don't even come out, right? And so I was thinking about this, 
as my wife and I were going to um, a Hillsong concert this past week, because this message was on me. And um, a good friend of ours, he had bought us tickets to this, so we, were, we just made a date out of it. And we go to Madison Square Garden, it's a packed house, right? People are already screaming and cheering. They're so happy to be there. And you know, they're worshiping, and I'm sitting, and this guy next to me, you know, he's having the time of his life. He's, he gets up, and he starts singing a couple lines of the song, and then he sits down, and he starts praying and exhorting God, and he gets like real quiet and intimate in prayer, and he'll get back up again, and then he'll start praising again, and then he'll keep doing that. Right? Joel Houston was there and like, you know, in his Australian splendor, he's walking around and people want to touch him as he walks through the crowd. And you know, I just laughed to myself because I was like, man, this is hilarious. Right? Just thinking about this, like what we're seeing in the passage that I'm supposed to preach on. And Joel comes up onto the stage, you know, and he, he grabs his mic and he looks out to the crowd. He sees a section of the arena. He says, I see you. <laughs> that, part, that part of the arena, they explode. Yes! You see me! You see me! Right, he quiets them down. He looks around. We are in New York City. <laughs> Everyone's like, yes! <laughs> We're in New York City? Yes! Right? He gets quiet again. We are the church. <laughs> yes! People are crying. Like, oh, we are the church. Yes. Yes. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> Metro, we are the church. <laughs> what? Where is that? Crazy. I was just laughing. I was like, these guys got it easy. And yeah, granted, they are incredibly talented musicians and songwriters, but it is easy to speak when you know your message is well received, when people are in agreement with you and want to hear what you have to say. But in spite of suffering and rejection that came from being faithful, Paul constantly throws himself at the mission of the word of God. Constantly, every day, the truth of the gospel for all people that Jesus Christ came for them, he died for them, he resurrected for them, he left his Holy Spirit for them, and he promises them eternal life. This message was more important than saving face. It was more important than running away from danger. It was more important than his life, this message. Romans 8 18 to 21, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Paul was shipwrecked while on this mission, right? Like, God, are you kidding me? You can't keep my boat together while I'm trying to deliver your word. Yet he continued. And what does he say? He says, my sufferings, the things I've been through, they're not even, they don't even make it to the scale compared to the glory of God. 
That is what Paul is saying here. So you want to experience power in your daily lives? You want to experience his power as you live out your days as a Christian? Let your life proclaim Jesus' name. Let your life proclaim Jesus' name. Humble yourself to his ways. Humble yourself to his ways. Are you faithful in delivering the message that God has given you in your lives? Are you faithful in your lives or with your time? Are you faithful to God in your singleness? Or is sex just something we can't avoid? Are you faithful to God in your marriage? Are you faithful in submitting to your wife and loving her and caring for her? Are you faithful in submitting to your husband in loving him with the same love and respecting him? Or are we just too hurt? We struggle to reconcile with our families, let alone with our church community. We're owed too many apologies. And I get it, I get it. Perfection is not the call here. We are not called to be perfect and God's grace and mercy are infinitely abundant. But sometimes, you know, I hear stories, I hear so many stories, not just our church, but the greater church we don't even go down fighting. And I get it, it's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. And we need a supernatural strength to do this. And that's why you can only do this. You can only live out this life if you have an intimate and active relationship with God the Father. This is a relationship you need to pursue every day. There's a price to pay for intimacy with God. That's our second point. You need to have an intimate and active relationship with God. Verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know about, but who are you? And then he whooped the clothes off him. <laughs> see, we see here, there is a very, very big difference between knowing God and knowing of God. Right? There's a very big difference between knowing God and knowing of God. I get this question a lot. A lot of people ask me, why do I need to pray? Why pray? Right? I serve at church. I believe in God. God knows me. God knows the things I'm going through. Why, why, why do I need to take the time to sit down and pray? And, you know, that question, I believe that question comes from a place where we need to correct our understanding of what prayer is. Because prayer is not just going to the Lord and presenting the things that are happening and the things that you need, right? Prayer's primary, primary purpose is to be in communion with him, to spend time with him. Right? We're gonna read from Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future. 
Right? Most people, they stop here, they post it on Instagram, right? But we're going to keep going. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. God wants to be sought out. God wants to be with you. God wants you to know him. He promises you here, I will be found by you. I will be found by you. It brings God great pleasure for us to be with him. Time spent with him. The sacrifice that we make for this intimacy is what fuels your authority as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. So if we read through the previous chapters, what is Paul doing? What is Paul doing in the previous chapters? He is proclaiming the word, He's going to prayer, he's coming from prayer, or he's in prayer. That's what he's doing. Jesus I know. Paul I know about. But who are you? See, Jesus, Jesus was God. Or Jesus is God. And while he spent his time on earth here, he prayed. Moses, Moses moved in power. He did all these miracles. But you know, he climbed Mount Sinai a couple times to be with the Lord. He paid a price to be with God. He said that God would come to the tent of meeting and Moses would meet him there and they would talk face to face like one does with a friend. Sunday is not enough. Sunday was never enough. And I know there's some of us in here that, you know, they believe um, there are just some very special individuals, right? They're just so gifted. These gifted individuals who are so prophetic and so awesome. That's bad theology, really. Because the whole church is gifted. And the whole church is called to be prophetic, that word prophetic, prophetic means to bring the word of God. We are all called to bring the word of God. Yes. We are all called to be prophetic. All of you are called to be prophetic in your lives, your workplace, within your families. We bring the word of God. We proclaim our faith. A couple Sundays ago, um, there were two baptisms, David and Alexander. And that, those, that Sunday was one of the most powerful Sunday services we have had in a while. And I do believe that a large part of it was because they were being faithful in proclaiming Jesus' name in their lives. They were being prophetic. That's why when we do communion today, it is imperative that we all participate together because we all proclaim the Lord's death and victory here. We all approach and do it as the body of Jesus. So will you pursue every chance you get to have time with the Father, to respond in worship? Because I'm telling you, if we leave here with a good word and good music, without a response of worship 
in proclaiming Jesus' name, we failed as a church. The last time I went to South Africa was about six years ago. Um, I had heard great things about Zamele. I figured, you know, I'm relatively new. I'm going to go check it out, right? I get to know Pastor Peter much better. And when we went, um, we learned that Zamele does this thing called home visits, right? And it's this thing where they show you how the community comes together and they have someone deliver supplies for people who are too sick to leave their home. So they'll bring them food and medication and all these things that the community has pulled together. And we went to a bunch of homes and, you know, there's a lot of sickness there, right? AIDS is still happening there and, you know, disease and stuff like that. So we went and we went into this home. We go into the inner room and it was just really hot. It was really, it was summer. We go into this room, the air is stale. There's like a small window uh, in the corner, but it's not really doing much. And that room just felt like death, Right? as we come into this bedroom and we see this woman who's lying there dying. We get there and the, the village women there, they ask one of us to pray. So Peter points at someone and he says, you know, you pray. He goes and pray and, you know, in my heart, I was like, oh man, like, is it gonna be okay if he prays? And the reason why I thought that was because this guy, um, he was going through a lot of things in his life. And he was not in like a good place. It was, it was just really hard for him. So he had actually come on this trip before, but he decided to come again because he was seeking something. He was seeking a part of himself. He was seeking God. He loved the people there so much, so he decided to come again. And I must tell you, he must have found what he was looking for. Because when he laid his hands on that woman, he prayed a simple prayer. But I felt it in my body. I felt chills and electricity running through me. And then this breeze just came into this room and it started to clear the air. And that in this moment, the Zulu women, they started singing in worship as he prayed and cried over this woman. I had never felt a peace like that before. It was incredible. God used him to meet with that woman that day. Do you wanna live in power today? Let your life proclaim Jesus. Submit in obedience to his ways. Pay the price to have an intimate and active relationship with him. We are a royal priesthood. We are called to live in this way. We'll see next week that the things God does through Paul stirs up the city of Ephesus and causes this riot. God wants to stir up your life. God is a supernatural God. He's trying to stir up your life. Do it in your own lives. Do it within your families. And as a church, we'll do it in Englewood. We will. Let's pray together.
At this time, um, let's just take a moment to approach the Lord. And if this is something that you, you struggle with, I want you to do this for me. I just want you to imagine you're in the throne room of God, whatever that looks like for you. Right, just imagine you're in the throne room of God and you are before his throne. God himself is before you and you just ask him, Father, what do you want to say to me? Simple as that. Father, what do you want to say to me? God's word will not condemn you. God's word will not shame you. He will not accuse you. He knows everything already. He's paid the price for your sins. He's rescued you. God's word will not put you down. there's something in your life that you want him to move if you want to experience his power his glory ask if you want him to speak life into death ask if you want him to move mountains ask I just want us to do this together as a church. If there's a place in your life where it's just dry bones and you need to experience God bring them to life, would you just raise your hand right now? God, I want to experience your power right now. Raise your hand and say, God, I am here. I am here to experience you. I see you, you can put your hands down. You can put your hands down, I see you. I see you, you can put your hands down. I see you, you can put your hand down. Let's pray together as a church. Father, we thank you for this time. And we ask you, God, would you move, Lord? Do what only you can do. Heal what only you can heal, God. We know all things are in your hands, Lord. Even the things that deep in our hearts, we don't believe you'll touch, God, you will. There is no darkness that can overwhelm your light. Would you speak life, Lord? 
to each and every single brother and sister here today? Would you unclog blocked ears, Lord? Would scales fall from eyes? Oh, yes, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your communication card, could you just take it out real quick? We're going to go through some next steps. The first is I am committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. This is the best news. If this is you today, please come see us outside uh, those double doors at something called the next table. There will be someone there who wants to talk with you, answer any questions that you might have, and to really just pray for you. The second is I will intentionally find a way to share the good news with someone close to me. I know that most of us in here, if not all of us, have friends or family who don't believe in Christ, who don't know him. Share your story. Proclaim his name over you. The third is I will meditate on my identity as a son and a daughter of God. This is a great way to build intimacy with the Lord. Sit before him. Ask him, God, show me, show me who I am as your son, who I am as your daughter. He will show you. The fourth is I will commit to going to Englewood Day on August 18th to be present with the community as kingdom people. Englewood Day. Um, the city of Englewood is going to have this huge get-together uh, within Englewood, and we're invited. We're going to be there. Um, come on now. We need people to be there. We need to represent the kingdom. I really hope that uh, that's something that you take seriously to be present, to be incarnate there. The next is, I would like more information on the justice journey taking place in September. Pastor Sunita uh, and the denomination, actually, they're running this thing where they're going to do a tour of the East Coast and visit key spots where um, things of social justice have happened. And, you know, it'll be a very, very eye-opening and learning and spiritual experience. Seats are limited, so definitely reach out to her if that's something you're interested in. And the last is, I will read Acts 19, 21 to 41 in preparation for next Sunday. Pastor Sina is going to bring a powerful word next Sunday 